Hello and welcome to Faculty Feed with me, Dr. Jerry Rabelais, Associate Vice President for Health Science Center Faculty Development at the University of Louisville. With me are my co-hosts, Dr. Stacy Sainer, Director of HSC Faculty Development, and Dr. Laura Weingartner, Director of Research for Faculty Health Professions Education. Twice a month, we're going to come together to use this podcast to bring faculty development content to feed your hunger and satisfy your appetite so you can magnify your impact as an educator, clinician, researcher, and academic leader. The appetizer for today is telling learners new content doesn't always equate to actual teaching. Stacy, I got to challenge you on this one. I've been telling learners things for 35 years, and I really felt like I was getting across to them, and they nodded their head. They looked like they were learning stuff. You're telling me that they might not have been learning? Could you see in their brain that they actually got it? Can't say that. Did you give them a test or some type of assessment to make sure they got it? Can't say that. Were you able to watch them utilize that information? Sometimes. What was your purpose of telling them stuff? I spent a lot of time collecting information and putting things together so that I could explain things to people. So was that knowledge that you explained all the time super relevant to that learner at that point in time? I thought so. Whenever you just tell people something, that is generally what we would consider a passive activity. If they weren't actually doing something with that content knowledge, the chances of it lingering in their brain to be able to use at a later date is between zero and like 0.001%. So for telling to work at all, I would have to follow that up with, okay, now that you've got that, let's use that information and apply it to what we have in front of us, this patient that we're seeing right now. That would work. You could even ask them a question, ask them to apply it to a different scenario. The real issue then becomes telling alone is not effective teaching. It has to be telling and something else. Today's entree, telling alone does not result in effective learning. So Stacy, why is that the case? Why isn't telling sufficient? When you tell something to someone, that is a passive activity unless you actually get the learner to utilize that content. Otherwise, it's just gonna really go in one ear and out the other. Learners have to actually do something active with the content. If I'm in an inpatient setting doing a consult, I'm now telling the residents something I know about this disease. What if I then ask them some questions? What if you actually started with the questions to figure out what they already knew? Could some of those residents possibly already know some information about Kawasaki? Oh, absolutely. I might have a first-year resident and a third-year resident with me, and the knowledge level in the third year should have seen or heard about or read about this kind of disease before. I could start with questions. So if I started like this, patient would come out of the room and I said, okay, tell me what you know about Kawasaki disease. Too general or has it got to be more specific? No, I think that would be a great way to start. And I would start with your third year intern. Get their background knowledge first. What do they already know? Because what's the purpose of rehashing your little six minute spiel if they already have that knowledge? I really like the spiel though. It's a lot of fun to just tell the story. They've already got content, so let's not waste their time. We know most of the time that the questions they ask often require only a fact-based answer. 
Aren't those good enough questions? What do you do with a fact? You can repeat it. Okay, you can repeat it. Pull it from your long-term memory into the working memory. And then what? If asking a fact-based question isn't good enough, then what makes a good question? When we study questioning, there are several things that really make good questions. Now, you just mentioned fact-based questions. Yes, we do need to know some facts. But a good question would elicit more from the learner than just the factual knowledge. You would want to have a question that is open-ended where they can actually elaborate and you have the ability to see what connections they have made to that particular fact. Fact-based questions are not going to get them there. How do they think with the facts they have? And especially, how do they transfer that information to a new issue? Let me give you an example. This past year, we've been deluged with this pandemic. Children are presenting now with a multi-system inflammatory condition that happens after the COVID virus. If I took what they knew about Kawasaki and figured out how they transfer that to the management and workup of a patient with MISC. I think that would be a great way to help them make some connections because we know if they can actually utilize those facts and think about them, make connections to prior knowledge, not only are they gonna remember that stuff, but they'll be able to critically think because you are helping them create their personal framework. How is it that I'm gonna plan my teaching for the afternoon in the clinic or making rounds? I'm probably have to work harder at that to decide what am I gonna ask then? I know I got this list of 10 patients. I know the kind of things are likely to come up. I have to then plan for that. I have to prepare. I can't just wing it as I show up at the bedside. Is that what you're saying? If you have some knowledge about what you're going to go see, you could prepare even two or three questions that are gonna require your learner to actually critically think. You are doing them a bigger service than just asking them, which antibiotic do we need for this? Really good questions not only identify the knowledge gap for you, the faculty member, but they also identify the knowledge gap for the learner. And so maybe then the learner also sees the knowledge they are lacking, which can help spur some more self-directed learning so that they can go on and figure out what they're missing. You raised a new term here, self-directed learning. Mm. Now, I know from the LCME documents that they look for evidence that we actually drive self-directed learning among our medical students, for example. I'm sure the same exact language is in the nursing school documents, dental school, public health school. So self-directed learning, that means they ask their own questions? Self-directed learning is a process where they recognize what their knowledge gaps are and then go about filling them. We know medical knowledge is changing rapidly. The faster that we can help the learner learn how to learn, they're better off that they're gonna be. So we can be like a role model for them by demonstrating that we ask ourselves and we're asking you questions that require a bit more than just reciting or retelling something. They really have to understand what they're talking about. And if they don't understand, then that shines a light on that gap 
and then they can make a plan for how to go about filling it. Because once they leave our residency, it's going to be up to them. I think that's why the ACGME pushes us for residents to say, make them self-directed learners because for the next 35 or 40 years, they're going to have to do that on their own. So the lesson for faculty listening to this is, okay, part of our job is to help them create these questions in their own mind so they can see what they don't know and be curious about the answers, look them up and fill that gap. Critical thinking for some specialties is just core to what they do. I'd offer for the vast majority of medical professionals, dentistry, nursing, public health. You just have to be able to think critically and sometimes think critically quickly on your feet if the clinical tempo of the illness is moving faster than you have time to go to the library. You've got to get your game on and have an understanding of what it is that I can do right now. And critical thinking is core to that. Why do I have to memorize all this stuff? Isn't it all in Google? Could I not just look it up? In fact, while on round, sometimes you see them get their phone out and they're looking up the answer to what you just asked somebody else. Mm -hmm. Because Google can't do the critical thinking for you. It's not in your head, it's in Google. And so unless you have some factual knowledge already in your head, your ability to connect the dots, connect it to what you already know, make predictions about what might happen, and have a deeper understanding of the processes involved, unless you can do that in your head, you can't serve the patient well, because Google really can't do that for you. No, well, maybe, eventually. <laughs> hey, Dr. Adler, I have a question. When you ask a question, how long do you wait for the learner to respond? Oh boy. Well, it depends on the day. Okay, oh, so okay. on a day where I have like four new consults in the afternoon and seven patients and the phone from the operator doesn't stop ringing, I might not even ask the question. True. But if I'm asking, I might wait a couple seconds because I want to tell them the answer so oh. we can get going, get to the next patient, do the next consult. There's research out there that shows that the average wait time for faculty in general to ask a question is about like 1.9 seconds. No, come on. Really? Truly. And I'm telling you, if you were only allowed 1.9 seconds to think about something before you responded, how well would you do? Not very well. Yeah. We're, we're in a busy clinical setting. Everything's going fast. How long you want to wait? I would shoot for like at least six seconds. Six, well, that doesn't sound like very long. No, it's not long at all. So what happens in that difference between 1.9 and six seconds? That's not much more time. It's a little more time to be able to pull the knowledge out of their long-term memory. Remember the retrieval practices? Oh, yeah, yeah. They haven't been retrieving as much as you have. And so they've still got to do a little more work to be able to pull it out of their brain. My favorite way to do this sort of thing is something you've heard about. It's called think, pair, share. So if you've got three or four people with you or you're in the classroom setting, talk to someone near you first. I think the dessert for today is effective teaching requires us to do more than just tell people stuff. That it requires us to ask questions, but not just any question, but good questions, because not all questions are the same. We have to have questions that drive critical thinking, get thought processes out in public, and we need to give them time to answer. The next time you're working with a learner, just pay attention to the kinds of questions you're asking them. Are they largely looking for fact-based answers or not? Remember, all questions are not 
equal. If you want to up your game as a professional educator or to enhance your leadership skills in the academic setting, this is the place to be as together we strive to make UofL a great place to learn, a great place to work, and a great place to invest. Join us next time for more and come hungry.